0: Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite. AEW Rampage in Impact Wrestling, and before today's episode is over, I will be giving you my Survivor Series War Games predictions. Now, with that being said, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw, it will open up with Kevin Owens in the middle of the ring. Kevin Owens would explain why he joined Team Brawling Bruce for War Games. He says that he joins the team because of Roman Reigns. Kevin Owens mentions that two years, it has been two years since he's faced Roman, and he's going to remind Roman at War Games who he is. Kevin Owens talks about being the guy that has taken Roman to the limit and also being the guy that would have ended Roman's championship reign before he got to this legendary status over two years ago, he is going to eliminate the bloodline. So the next time he faces Roman reigns, he's going to take the championship away from him. So Kevin Owens mentions that he did not come to raw alone. And that's when you will see drew McIntyre and the brawling brutes appear from the crowd. Enjoy Kevin Owens in the ring while they're in the ring. They're out there to promote war games And then they will be interrupted by the Judgment Day. The Judgment Day will say that they rule Raw. So whenever they come over to Raw, they need to show the Judgment Day some respect. Sheamus would then issue a challenge to Judgment Day to have a fight. And we get one. So we get a six-man tag of the Judgment Day with Rhea Ripley in their corner going against Team Brawling Brutes with Drew McIntyre in their corner while Kevin Owens was on commentary. Sheamus will get the win for his team by pinfall when he will hit Dominic with the bro kick for the win. Now, during the match, the club will come out to the ring and watch the match. And after the match was over, Finn Balor and Damian Priest would attack Sheamus from behind. Ridge would come in the ring and help Sheamus out. Ridge would get Priest out of the ring and start brawling up the ramp. This would allow Luke Gallows to hit Priest in the head with a roundhouse kick, while Finn would be watching this in the middle of the ring. And he would make the hand motion for the club to get in the ring so he could fight him. Not knowing that Kevin Owens was in the ring behind him, Kevin Owens would turn Finn Balor around and hit him with a stunner, and that would be the end of this. So Team Brawling Brute, Kevin Owens, and Drew McIntyre will be the last men standing in the middle of the ring. Now, after this, we were supposed to get a Johnny Gargano versus The Miz match, but that does not happen because The Miz would come out with his hand wrapped up and mention that he got his hand injured by doing a TikTok. Miz would say that he found a suitable replacement for Johnny Gargano, and it turned out to be Omos. Omas would beat Johnny Gargano by pinfall by catching Johnny when he jumped off the top turnbuckle by the throat and ends up choke slamming him for the win. And also, I have to clarify something. Last week, I said that The Miz will be going against Dexter Lumis at Survivor Series. They correct that. Miz will be going against Dexter Lumis next week on Monday Night Raw. And remember, the condition for the match is if Dexter Lumis wins, The Miz has to pay Dexter Lumis what he owes. And also, Dexter will be getting a WWE contract. Now, with that all out of the way... After this, we would get Seth Rollins interview. It would mention why Seth has decided to face both Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory at Survivor Series in a triple threat match for the United States Championship. Seth says that he has a bone to pick with both men. Seth will say that he has dealt with brutes like Bobby, and he used to be like Theory. What he means by that is someone that is hard-headed and a rookie and doesn't want to take anybody's advice. However, when he says this, he's mentioned that both men have never dealt with anyone like Seth. Because he is one of one Seth will say that he's going to retain his United States Championship at Survivor Series. So that's what this whole Seth Rollins interview was all about. Personally, I thought we were going to get Mustafa Ali in the uh, championship matchup at Survivor Series. But nope, they only do a Triple Threat match. And speaking of Mustafa Ali. Mustafa Ali will be going against Austin Theory next after Seth's interview. With Theory picking up the win by pinfall by hitting the A-Town down for the win. Now, after the match, Bobby Lashley would appear on the Titantron and Bobby would tell Theory that since he wants to be taken serious, he now has Bobby's attention. Bobby would tell Theory to stay in the ring because he is on his way. Once Bobby comes out, Bobby has a mic in his hand and he starts running down Theory saying that Theory couldn't get the job done with Rollins. Theory would shoot back by saying that it's because of Bobby. He is the United States champion and he would start poking fun at Bobby for saying that he got beat up by Brock Lesnar then lost the United States Championship to Seth Rollins. Bobby would get in the ring and start brawling with Theory. They would end up brawling outside of the ring, and Bobby would get the better of the encounter. Theory would then grab a chair, hit Bobby in the back, and that wouldn't face Bobby Lashley, not one inch. So then Bobby would start chasing Theory away to the back, and then you would see Theory grab Ali and then throw him into Bobby to create distance between the two, allowing Theory to completely run away from Bobby. Ali would get up and shove Bobby Lashley, and then Bobby would grab Ali by the throat and bring him to the entrance stage. You would then see Bobby throw Ali back first into the, like, entrance screen multiple times, like twice, before locking in the hurt lock, and he would hold on to the Hurtlock until he got satisfied and then threw Ali down to the ground. So again, Bobby is out here just killing people and basically maiming them just for his own pure enjoyment. Theory is trying to be taken serious, while Seth is playing the Puppet Master, just controlling each and every single one of these members that's just trying to get at his United States Championship. Now, after this, we will have Alpha Academy going against Elias and Matt Riddle. Elias and Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Elias would hit a twisting suplex on Gable, and then Riddle would get tagged in and hit the floating bro on Gable for the win. Solid tag match here. Now, Elias and Riddle have a win over Alpha Academy when Alpha Academy has singles wins over both Elias and Riddle. So they're going to continue this tag team feud for the next couple weeks, at least until December, because usually WWE don't have no other creative plans. So I can see this feud like ending like towards like the end of December here. Out of this, we have Baron Corbin going against Drew McIntyre and JBL was on commentary for this matchup. Drew would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Akira Tozawa. As Corbin had Drew on the mat and Corbin was trash-talking the fans, he would see Akira Tozawa standing on the commentary table. Akira Tozawa now donning a blonde hair, and he's back to his old ring gear. He's put away the old uh, ninja gear. JBL will look at Akira Tozawa and question why Tozawa was here. Tozawa would take JBL's hat and then run into the audience. Corbin will see all of this, and once he puts his focus back on Drew McIntyre, Drew would hit him with a claymore, and then cover him for the win. So again, this is giving Drew some momentum going into war games. After this, we go into the main event of Monday Night Raw. Rhea Ripley going against Asuka, where the winner will get their team for war games the advantage, and Rhea Ripley would win the match by pinfall. When Asuka and Rhea were trading strikes, Asuka would go for a roundhouse kick, but Rhea would duck it and then hit Asuka with the Riptide, For the win. Solid match between Rhea and Asuka here. And this is Rhea's first match back on the main roster in some time, I believe. Yeah, this is her first match back on the main roster in some time. And I'm not talking about the NXT where she went against Roxanne Perez. No, this is her first time back on the main roster, I believe, since the Fatal 4-Way back in, what, July or June? So, it was good to see her back in the main roster doing uh, main event things. It's good. And I'm hoping they keep that momentum for Rhea Ripley also going into war games. Now, after the match, you would see Damage Control and Nikki Cross attack Asuka. And then you would see Bianca and Alexa and Mia Yim come down to even the odds. And it would end with all ladies brawling around the ring. And Asuka would jump off the top turnbuckle, landing on all of them. And that's how Monday Night Raw ends, where all the ladies laid out on the mat. Well outside of the ring. Uh Raw here was pretty, like, evenly out. It didn't have too many high peaks. It didn't have too many low peaks. It was right down, just straight down the middle. Not too bad, not too good. It was just straight middle. So if you missed Raw, that was your Raw highlights of the week right there. Now, on to NXT. We would get a Toxic Attraction in-ring segment. The ladies would be out here to peacock about Mandy Rose retaining her NXT Women's Championship last week. Mandy mentions that she has held on to the NXT Women's Championship and nobody can stop her. Gigi and JC would mention that they are going to become a three time NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, but then you would see the champions, Kaden and Katana, come out and they will not co sign that. JC would say that Tossic Attraction made Katana and Caden relevant as well as the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships relevant. Caden would say that that's not true. Caden and Katana have made the tag team championships relevant because people respect them. JC would then tell them that once they beat them for the championships, they can go back to being irrelevant. This would get under the skin of the champions, so the champions would get in the ring and try to fight with the toxic attraction, but the numbers would be too much for Katana and Caden, and they would get laid out in the middle of the ring with Tossic Attraction standing tall. Now, they would show a video package of Apollo crews going into something like Diner talking about has been Six months almost to the day that he's been in NXT. And he will be going against Braun Breaker at deadline for the NXT championship. So they were hyping that up there in another two weeks. That'll be on December 10th. They will get another video package of Braun Breaker later in the night. And he's out there fishing. He talks about how being an NXT champion at first is great. You're at the top, but now it's kind of wearing him down. So now you can start seeing, okay... We're starting getting to the point that Braun Breaker is going to lose the championship somewhere close. He's not going to lose it to Apollo. I don't see him doing that, but they're starting to already tell you the story that being the champion is starting to take a little bit of stress on Braun Breaker. So he's going to lose that championship sometime, like sometime soon, but not too soon. Apollo is not the guy that's going to take it off him at deadline, but you know Braun's going to lose that belt soon. So those are the two video packages that we would get from both of the champion and the challenger for their upcoming match at deadline for the NXT championship. After this, we get Cora Jade going against Wendy Chu. Cora Jade would win the match by pinfall. Cora would have her Kindle stick and try to hit Wendy and miss. Wendy would then kick Cora in the stomach and take the Kindle stick away from her. When Wendy will look to hit Cora, the referee would tell Wendy to put the candlestick down. And as this is happening, the referee would not see Cora grab Wendy's cup and throw the fluid in Wendy's face. This would allow Cora to then hit the double underhook DDT for the win. So that's how Cora J won the match against Wendy Chu. Now, after this, we get Ivy now with Tatum Paxley going against Kiana James. Ivy would win the match by submission when Kiana will leave the ring and start walking up the ramp. Fallon Henley will come out and Kiana would walk back into the ring. Once she gets back in the ring, Ivy would lock her in into the dragon sleeper and Kiana would tap out. Now after the match, Fallon and Kiana would brawl in the ring and outside of the ring and then into the crowd and then straight to the back. Then you would see the Kree brothers come out and hug Ivy and they would get a mic and they would challenge Indy Shear to a match at deadline because they're not here for Indy Shear to try to get respect off of their backs and, That's all it's about. Uh, After this, we get (laughs) the in-ring debut of Scripps, a figure that has been leaving like video uh, voice messages to NXT uh, development or whoever it is. And ladies and gentlemen, it's Reggie, the former uh, 24-7 champion, the guy who was the sommelier for Carmella, the guy who had a love interest with Nia Jax during the uh, Thunderdome era, Reggie, he is back and he's under a mask and he's performing ass scripts. He would beat uh, Guru Raj in a match when he would hit the Molly Go Round off the top turnbuckle on Raj for the win. I tell you right now, I understand what we're trying to do with, like, we're trying to give Reggie some type of something. We're trying to give the performer something because he actually can do some amazing uh, aerial maneuvers. He could backflip. He could do twisties. He could do all these type of things that not a lot of people on the main roster probably can do or not a lot of people on the roster could do because he was a uh, former Circus or Circus Ole performer, I believe. He did talk about that on Up Up Down Down for a minute. But um, I understand they don't want to let him go because he's real unique. WWE is all about exposing like unique talent out there. So they want to give him something. I just think that they need to work on his gear because the mask and his gear is not pretty. It's pretty ugly, to be honest with you. It's not great. And for somebody that you want to highlight the way that you want to highlight this new iteration of Reggie as scripts, you guys need to give him better gear. So that's all my uh, critique for that. After this, we have Schism out here for their in-ring segment, and they're out here to talk about the meaning of Thanksgiving and how it's about people being brought together to embrace with each other. And as members of Schism would talk, you would see Ava Rain go out and get an audience member who's clearly a plant and have him join the Schism in the ring. Joe Gacy would say that the Schism has entered a new chapter with them no longer being inclusive. They are now here to be divisive and basically try to take over NXT. Joe Gacy would look at the audience member in the ring and say, we thank you for your sacrifice. And he would hug the audience member and then hit him with a uranage through the table that's in the middle of the ring. So the schism is now all about destroying NXT, well technically taking over and no longer about including or recruiting new members now. So if you're thinking that we're going to get a new member of schism nah, you only get these four members that you got here and that's about it. Which is disappointing because I wish they would just add one more guy or gal, more or less a guy that could be like a big heavy for Joe Gacy whenever uh, The Dyad and Ava Rain is probably doing something else and Joe Gacy needs somebody to watch his back. I wish they would just add one more big guy, but we'll see if they do later. Um, After this, we would get Zoe Starks going against Sol Ruka. Zoe Starks would win the match by pinfall when Sol would miss the missile drop kick off the top turnbuckle. And Zoe would hit a sliding knee to Sol's face for the win. Now, after the match, Zoe would grab Soul, looking to hit her with another move, but Nikita Lyons would walk down to the ring and exchange blows with Zoe Starks. Nikita would throw a spinning roundhouse kick, but Zoe would duck it and then slide out of the ring. So, they're building up for Nikita to get her hands on Zoe. One of us would probably get it at deadline, I'm thinking. They probably still got to build it up more, but they did not announce it, but I'm probably thinking we're going to get Zoe versus Nikita at deadline. Uh, After this, we get the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup of Andre Chase and Duke Hudson with Tia Hale in their corner going against the champions Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would retain their championships by pinfall when there was a miscommunication with Andre Chase and Duke in the ring. When Andre had Kit Wilson in the gory special and Kit would get off Andre's back, Duke would look to hit Kit with a big boot, but Kit would duck it, and Duke would accidentally hit Andre Chase. This would allow Elton Prince to get Duke out of the ring, throw him into the steel steps, and then you would see Pretty Deadly hit spilt milk on Andre Chase for the win. After the match, you would see Andre Chase and Thea Hale and Duke Hudson outside of the ring. Thea and Duke were talking, and Thea tells Duke, I know it was an accident. You didn't mean to hit Andre Chase, and Duke's trying to just explain himself to Thea. You just see Andre Chase like behind Duke with a mad look on his face, looked as like he wants to snap off on Duke, but he doesn't do it. At one point, I thought he was gonna do it because the camera stayed so much on Duke and Thea Hill and Andre Chase being behind Duke, and as Duke was close to the ring uh, ring post, you thought you were gonna see Andre Chase throw Duke into the ring post, but he doesn't. So we're still continuing. Is Andre Chase really going to snap off on Duke, or is Duke going to turn on Andre Chase? We're waiting for which one's going to do it first. So that's the story that we have between Andre Chase and Duke Hudson here. Now we get to the main event of NXT for the North America Championship. Wesley going against Carmelo Hayes. Wes would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a bag spring Pele kick and then finish it off with a Mishinoku driver for the win. Now, after the match, as Wes was celebrating in the ring, he would look at the entrance stage and see his entrance video. There would appear to be some prison bars sliding on the screen, and then you would hear like the clinking sound of the bars hitting each other. Then, once the camera focused back on the ring, you would see DiJack. Standing behind West, and once West turned around, DiJack would grab West by the throat, and then hit him with Feast Your Eyes. And DiJack is back in NXT. This was building up for a couple weeks now with vignettes of DiJack burning his uh, Retribution mask, talking about him being Judgment. So he's back here. He looks toned up. He looks like he got a black, like black OT now, black uh, variant of his hair, black gear. So we get a new presentation of DiJack here. I'm glad we're getting Dijak back on television because DiJack was fairly missed. Even though people might not remember much about DiJack, just YouTube DiJack, and you'll understand what type of athlete he is. Him going against Keith Lee in Milwaukee or Portland takeover in 2020 before the pandemic happened. That was one of their great matches that NXT's had. And also, Keith Lee going against DiJack just on NXT, period, or even on Independence. Great matches for you to watch all around, so I would highly, and I mean this, highly uh, recommend you guys go to YouTube to just watch those matches alone, but it's great to see DiJack back on television, it's great to see him back here, and him going after uh, Wesley for the North American Championship, I don't think nobody called that, I think people would have probably thought that DiJack was going to go after the uh, NXT Championship, I know I would, because if you're coming back, you would think you want to go after the main title instead of the secondary title, but... The North American Championship has a lot of lineage. It has a lot of credibility, so it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make Dijay look bad going after the North American Championship. As a matter of fact, it just makes him look to be smarter because he wants to go after Wesley, a guy that's smaller and, in his eyes, more inferior than him for him to win the championship off of him. So, I'm glad to see Dijay back, and I think him going against Wesley is going to be a good uh, match whenever they do have that happen. And also, I think. It was a great move for Carmelo to lose to Wes here, for Carmelo to move up to the main title, for him to go after the NXT championship. So I'm glad we are getting that. And hopefully, Carmelo will be the guy to take the championship off Braun Breaker, hopefully around WrestleMania time. I'm hoping that's what they're building up to. Fingers crossed. Anyway, that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with William Regal being in the middle of the ring, and Regal will be out here to let everyone know that MJF, the new AEW World Champion, isn't here tonight, but he will be here next week on Dynamite to explain the relationship between himself and Regal. Regal would say that he did send MJF an email a couple weeks ago, but people will not know the details of it until next week. Now, before Regal could further talk, Moxley would come out and he would get to the ring and he would get almost nose to nose with Regal before Brian Danielson would run in and try to like get in between Regal and Mox. More trying to make sure Mox doesn't like attack Regal. So Brian does this and then he gets a microphone and tells Moxley that he doesn't know why Regal did what he did, but he admits that he did a bad thing. But so has Moxley and so has everyone else. So Brian would then plead with Mox to not harm Regal because Regal has a bad neck and two lesions on his brain. So you will see Moxley still frothing at the mouth trying to get at Regal. You will see Brian slap Mox across the face and then apologize and still plead with Moxley to tell him, don't touch Regal, don't harm him. Brian will tell of Regal being there for him when his father was losing himself. So that's the reason why Brian loves Regal. He loves that man. So when Mox hears all this, he goes next to the ropes, he leans on it, and you just see him just shakes the rope. You would then see Moxley step away from the ropes and see him walk up to Brian and tell him to hand him the microphone. Brian would do so, and then you see Moxley just slowly walk on Regal, and then look Regal dead in the eye and tell Regal. I want you to run. Whoa. Run far away, as far away as you can. And you never ever come back. Right now, walk and keep on walking. So, when Moxley says this to Regal, Regal would then leave the ring and he just like slowly walks up the ramp and walks to the back. And we wouldn't see Regal or Mox or even Brian for the rest of the night. And this brings me to question, okay, Moxley said that he wants Regal to walk and never turn back around, so this might be the last we see Regal on screen, and you know what, I'm going to say this, I don't want this to be the last time we see Regal on screen, somehow I want him to still be with Brian Danielson, even with, I know it's going to be the split of the Blackpool Combat Club, it's coming, but you saw and you heard how Brian, like, he cares for Regal the way that I told you. And if you saw AEW, you know what I'm talking about. Brian cares for Regal. So it's going to be a little soft spot that Brian has with Regal. So if Regal comes back, I wanted to be with Brian. I don't want Regal to really go away because Regal is just scratching the surface with his time on AEW on television, at least for being in front of everybody, because Regal can offer so much for people on the main screen that needs that needs the, the influence, that needs the hype around them. Brian Danielson, he doesn't need the hype, but it will be a nice mentorship, mentee, uh, teacher, and student. You see their relationship on screen. We've heard about it on WWE. We started to slowly see it at the beginning of this year, and even as the year progressed between Brian and Regal. But you don't have it seen it to his full capacity with Brian being a dick the way that he was in Ring of Honor whenever he was on his uh Ring of Honor championship heel run. He was a dick, and I mean, with Brian being a dickhead and he's supposed to be a bad guy the way that he is, because he comes out the bad guy tunnel, I don't think people still remembers this. With Regal being with Brian, it makes a lot of sense. But I can see next week, Moxley, just going after MJF. MJF says, I don't care about Regal, because remember, MJF is the devil, and the devil cares about nobody, and remember, Regal is just a means to an end for the AEW World Championship, and that's what MJF now has in his possession, so I can see see, MJF really discarding uh, Regal. So again, I don't want Regal to leave. I want him to still be there, but I am glad if we do split away from Regal and MJF before he even gets to that point, I'm cool with that because I don't think Regal is the right teacher for MJF. For me, I still have it in my heart that MJF is a variant and a stylistic of CM Punk. So if CM Punk ever comes back, which I'll get more into that later, I see MJF being with CM Punk, that teacher-student mentality the way that you want Uh, Regal to be the teacher student for MJF. I just don't see that with these two. I see that more with Punk and MJF. That's just me. So we're splitting MJF away from Regal before he even fully gets there. I'm cool with that. But I don't want Regal to be off of our screen at all. But anyway, that's just my opinion on that. Now, after this segment, what we get done with, we would get the AEW All-Atlantic Championship matchup between Jake Hager, who has 2.0, and Dale Garcia in his corner, going against Orange Cassidy, who has the best friends, and Rocky Romero in his corner. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall when Jake Hager would have Orange Cassidy in the ankle lock and let go of it to get his purple bucket hat. And Orange would then take advantage of this and hit Jake with the Orange punch and then roll him up for the win. Now, you might be saying to yourself as a viewer, you never, have, ever seen uh, AEW television or anything about it, you will say to yourself, if you had the match one and you have him an ankle out, like, why would you let go to grab a hat? Well, this whole match was basically built around Orange Cassidy wanted Jake Hager's purple hat. And at points when you see Orange Cassidy take the purple hat off of Jake Hager, Jake Hager would immediately just grab it back, put it on his head, and he would wrestle with it. Throughout the match. So that was the whole reason why Jake Hager let go of the ankle lock. Because he did not have his purple bucket hat on his head. Now. After the match. The factory will come down to the ring. And QT Marshall will have a mic in his hand. He'll talk on it. But then start malfunctioning. And you will see the factory like get on the ring apron and surround the ring. The lights will go out. And then once the lights in the arena will pop back on. The lights in the arena were red. And you will see Julia Hart standing on the stage. And now you know what time it is. The House of Black are back. So the lights will go out. And then when the lights pop back on, the House of Black is standing in the ring behind the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. They would attack Best Friends and then Orange Cassidy and then throw them out of the ring. And then the House of Black would attack the factory and basically leave everyone laying. So the House of Black is now back in AEW. They all are back on screen. And I'm happy about it because you know what? More trios back on the main... Uh, television line more trios back on your screen especially with the star power that malachi black and brody king and even buddy matthews and julia hart the whole house of black stable can bring for an alternative viewer that has never seen something like this it was a great viewing i'm just gonna be blunt with it i'm glad to have malachi black back I'm glad to have Brody King, I'm glad to have Buddy Buddy Matthews, sorry, back. And also Julia Hart, House of Black was missed, and hopefully we get to see them more now, especially with them now hopefully being more dangerous than what they were the last time we saw them. After this, we get the finals of the World Championship Eliminator Tournament, with Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway in his corner, going against Ricky Starks. Ricky would win the match by pinfall when you hit Ethan Page with the spear and they cover him. Now, Ricky will be facing MJF at Winter is Coming, and that's on December 14th for the AEW World Championship. So we have at least about, what, two weeks to build up this match between these two, so we're probably going to have Ricky interrupting MJF next week, and then we're going to have them, like, joust with each other on the mic. That's going to be good, and their match at Winter is Coming is going to be good, so I can't wait for that to happen. After this, we get the Trios Championship matchup. This is now their best of seven series matches that continue between the lucha brothers and pack better known as the death triangle going against the young bucks and kenny omega better known as the elite and this is their second match their first match was at full gear with the death triangle winning that one and this is their second match of this best of seven for again the trio's championship and death triangle would go two and zero with the elite winning this match when the ref was dealing with Alex Abrahantes on the ring apron, Brandon Cutler will slide Matt Jackson the ring hammer, and as he was about to hit Pack with it, Penta would get in the ring and pull out his own ring hammer out of his own pants and hit Matt Jackson in the head with it, and then Pack would cover Matt for the win. Now, here's the deal with this matchup. This match was held in Chicago. This AEW Dynamite was held in Chicago. Everybody in Chicago knows what happened. At All Out, Punk and the Elite got into their business. So, this was a real biased Chicago CM Punk uh, crowd here. At the beginning, before the match even begins, when the Elite are on the ramp and you see the lights go out, you can immediately start hearing people booing the Elite. You couldn't even hear uh, Kansas carry, carry on. You couldn't hear that music at all the fans were booing the devil out of the Young Bucks in Kenny Omega. And at points, you saw the Young Bucks play around with the crowd. They were really encouraging the boos here, making references also to CM Punk by doing a couple things. Matt Jackson failed to hit the Buckshot Lariats in the same fashion as CM Punk failed to hit the Buckshot lariat on Heyman Page at Double or Nothing, so that got a reference there. There was another reference of Kenny biting... Uh, pack that was a reference of uh CM Punk's best friend Ace Steel biting Kitty Omega after All Out in their backstage brawl. And another reference was Kitty Omega hitting Pack with the go to sleep. And again, you're doing this all in a Chicago-based crowd. Chicago's going to boo the Elite, so they really leaned into it. And I'm glad they did, because you know what? Why not? You're there. Play up to the crowd. Why not? You're there. Just make money off of it. And the crowd was more uh, receptive to this. They didn't, like, hold on to it, so they booed the Young Bucks. They knew th- what their mission and job was to do, to boo the Young Bucks, and they did that in a spectacular fashion. So, the Elite are down 2-0, to zero, and now they got to catch up. The Death Triangle only got to win two more matches, and their next match will be next week, so we got to see how this will all fathom out between uh, the Elite and Death Triangle. Now, after this, we will get a triple threat tag team matchup of Britt Baker and the new AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hader. Yes, I said Women's Champion. I'll get more into that. Going against Anna Jay and Ty Mello, going against Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale. Now, before the match will begin, you will have Renee Paquette let the fans know that AEW and Thunder Rosa have come to an agreement with Thunder Rosa relinquishing the AEW Women's Championship. So now Jamie Hayter is the official AEW Women's Champion. She is not an interim champion. Tony Schiavone would let the people know that Tony Storm's reign as champion will go down in the record books and will be noted as her being an actual world champion instead of an interim champion as she was already introduced throughout her time as champion whenever uh, Thunder Rosa was out. So as she tells the fans this. You will hear uh, Renee call out Britt and Jamie hater, and she will ask Jamie how does it feel to be the world champion. Britt Baker would answer for Jamie, and you will see Jamie look confused at first by this, but she was fine with it because she's the world champion. She lets Britt talk for her, blah, blah, blah. You can see where this is headed here. Jamie and Britt are going to split, but right now they're playing the nice-nice between each other. Now, getting to the match, you will see Britt Baker win the match for her team by pinning Sky Blue. When Jamie will hit a backbreaker on Sky Blue, then Britt will come in and hit the curb stomp and cover Sky Blue for the win. So, Jamie and Britt would get the win. Now, after this, we have the Acclaim come out, and everybody's in a good mood. The Acclaim would mention that they are thankful for retaining their championships at full gear, and Billy Gunn's hands are healed. So, now as the Acclaim and Billy Gunn are about to scissor in the middle of the ring... They are stopped by Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Jeff Jarrett appearing on the screen because when the Acclaim were coming down to come to the ring and Max Castle would do his raps, he sent a couple shots at Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. So this is just Jeff and Jay retaliating. Jeff Jarrett would tell the Acclaim to keep their names out of their mouths. So you could tell where this is leading to. This is going to lead to Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal monolithely going against the Acclaim somewhere down the line, probably next week. Billy Gunn will tell somebody in the back to get those guys off the screen. And then you have the in Billy Gunn scissoring in the ring. So there's that. Also, I forgot to mention, we did have a backstage moment between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland earlier in the night where Keith Lee was waiting for Swerve to talk to him because Keith was waiting for Swerve to apologize to him. And you would see Swerve walk up to Keith and he looks at the camera, put his hands on the camera and say that we could talk without the camera. So we're going to get Keith Lee and Swerve somewhere down the line. This is just the beginning stages of this. I can't wait for it because, again, when they first came in, these two were two top signings for AEW at the beginning of the year. Then they got put into a tag team, a makeshift tag team, might I add. And I didn't think they were going to last as long as they did, but they had a good reign as a tag team champions. They had good tag team matches. So now they're... Again, split, and they're back to being just singles competitors. I want to see what type of rivalry we're getting between Swerve and Keith. That's just going to be entertaining. I just wanted to note that because I forgot to mention it earlier. Now, off to the main event of Dynamite. We have the Ring of Honor Championship matchup of Chris Jericho going against Tomohiro Ishii. Chris Jericho would win the match by submission when he will lock Ishii in the Lion Tamer, and Ishii would give Chris Jericho the bird before tapping out. So Ishii will still tap out. Also, here was something in the match. Uh, Ishii would chop Jericho so hard that actually blood will start coming out of Jericho's chest. And I mean a nice, solid bit of blood. So let me just make this perfectly clear to everybody again. Japanese wrestling, that strong style stuff, they hit hard. And this match should prove it to you when you look at Chris Jericho's chest. His chest was actually bleeding. And I don't know I mean just like red, like pulsing. I mean like actual blood was coming out of his chest. So whenever you think about Japanese wrestling, just think of that. Striking hard, you need to prepare yourself. Anyway, after the match, Jericho will walk up the ramp and look at the commentary table. But before Jericho could get to the commentary table, Claudio Castagnoli will appear behind Chris Jericho, tap him on the shoulder. Jericho would turn around and Claudio would slap Jericho across the face. And Jericho would be laid out on the stage and that's how dynamite ends so we're more than likely going to get chris jericho versus claudia for the ring of honor championship when is that happening i don't know we'll have to see but that was your aew dynamite wrestling highlights of the week now off to impact wrestling there was no impact results here this week uh they look at past impact wrestling uh thanksgiving theme episodes that was basically it for this week of impact but i do have to read you uh, Impact Wrestling's uh, Overdrive event that happened last Friday, because I did not give you the results for that, so the results go as follows, when Moose went against Bully Ray in a tables match, Bully Ray would win, knockouts tag team championship matchup, the Deaf Dolls of Taya Valkyrie and Jessica going against Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans, the Deaf Dolls would win and retain their knockouts tag team championships, Mickey James versus Taylor Wilde. Mickey James would win that, but then after the match, Deanna Perrazzo would get in the ring and say that she is going to be the one to beat Mickey James and send her packing and end her career. So Mickey James will be going against Deanna Perrazzo next week on Impact Wrestling. Now for the Impact Tag Team Championships, Rhino and Heath defending it against the major players. Rhino and Heath would retain their championships. Trey Miguel will become the new X-Division champion when he beats Black Tarus in the finals of the X-Division championship tournament by spraying Black Tarus in the face with spray paint and then covering, well, hitting him with a roll-up to win the matchup. So, Trey Miguel is your new X-Division champion, and he has now been turned to a bad guy, and I wanted to see how this version of Trey Miguel is going to work. So, we'll have to see what happens next week on Impact. In the last knockout standing match between... Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich for the Knockouts World Championship. Jordan Grace would retain her championship. And then in the main event for the Impact World Championship, Josh Alexander going against Frankie Kazarian. Josh Alexander would retain his championship. Now, after the match, you would see Josh Alexander be in the ring. Him and Frankie Kazarian would show respect to each other. But then Bully Ray would come out. Bully Ray would announce that... He is going to cash in his uh, Call Your Shot prize in on Josh Alexander at their Impact Wrestling pay-per-view Hard to Kill in January for the Impact World Championship. So Bully Ray would shake Josh Alexander's hand and Josh Alexander would shake Bully's hand. Now, when Josh Alexander would leave the ring, Bully would attack Josh from behind with the steel chair and start smashing him in the back over and over with the steel chair. Now, you will see Bully zip-tied Josh's hand to the bottom rope, and Bully would say that he kept his word to Josh Alexander by not attacking him from behind. He said that whenever I'm going to cash in this championship opportunity, I'm going to look you in the eye, tell you when, and shake hands, which Bully Ray, technically, he did do. He did keep his word, but Bully did attack Josh from behind and said, why would you ever trust me? So... He then grabs Josh's wife, who's in the front uh, of the crowd. He grabs her and drags her over to guardrail, and he threatens to pile drive her on the concrete floor if Josh did not hand him the world title over. So Josh would hand Bully Ray the Impact World title, and Bully would let go of Josh's wife, and Josh would quickly grab his wife, and then Bully would threaten to hit her with a chair again, but he doesn't, and that's how Overdrive ends, with basically Bully standing over both Josh Alexander and his wife with the World Championship, so we'll have to see what happens next week on Impact Wrestling between Bully and Josh, but as you can tell, they're getting the wheels turning, and they're gonna start hyping up Josh going against Bully at their uh, Hard to Kill pay-per-view in January, and I'm okay with it, fine, whatever, we all know Josh is gonna win, Bully's not going to win this matchup, but it's going to be a nice, fun ride to see how we're going to at least spark some interest with the fans to at least buy that Bully is a credible uh, challenger for Josh Alexander. But we'll have to wait and see on next week's Impact. But with that all being said, that is your Impact Wrestling, wrestling highlights of the week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown would open up with Team Damage Control being in the middle of the ring. That is Bailey, the Women's Tag Team Champions, Io and Dakota, Rhea Ripley, and Nikki Cross being in the middle of the ring. Bailey will say that she is tired of waiting around to see who Bianca's fifth member is going to be. So, Bianca's team will come out as Bianca, Mia Yim, Asuka, and Alexa will come out. Bianca would announce her fifth member, and it would be Becky Lynch. So, Becky Lynch will come down to the ring, and we will all get it cracking. So, SmackDown basically started with all the women for the Women's War Games, basically having a brawl in the middle of the ring with Team Bianca standing tall, in this brawl, you would see Team Damage Control leave the ring, and Team Bianca would stand in the middle of the ring just holding their ground. So this is setting up, again, War Games, giving momentum to Team Bianca because they do not have the advantage Team Damage Control does. This was just trying to give them a little something, a little kick as they go into War Games. Now, after this, we have the semifinals for the World Cup. It's Butch with Team Brawling Brutes in their corner, going against Santos Escobar, who had Legado de Fantasma in their corner. Santos would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Legado de Fantasma. Well, earlier, technically, in the middle of the match, you would see video of uh, the Usos and Salisicoa attacking Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre backstage. You would see Butch tell Sheamus and Rich to go back there to help out Kevin Owens and Drew, since they all are a part of Team Brawling Brutes for War Games. So this leaves Butch to take on Santos with Legado de Fantasma by himself. Now, towards the end of the match, you will see Butch get Santos in an armbar. Selena Vega will get on the ring apron to distract the referee. This would allow both Wild and El Toro to grab Butch and hit him with an enziguri. And then Santos will hit him with the Phantom Driver for the win. So now Santos moves to the finals of the World Cup tournament. Now, after this matchup, we would get... Bray Wyatt coming down for an in-ring promo. Bray will come out and he talks about the public's perception of him. He mentions that he doesn't care about what people say about him because he has a pulse of what people think about him. Bray would mention that people want to see him become a monster. People want to see the fiend. And Bray would ask the people, is that what they want? Do they want the monster? And the fans are just cheering and applauding for it. But Bray would say that isn't the man that he wants to be anymore. He wants to be a better man than that. Bray would say that he did not attack Ellie LA Knight last week. And then a video will start playing on the Titan Tron. And it's a very cryptic video message for Bray Wyatt. And it's basically Uncle Howdy. And he's telling the fans that Bray is making a fool of everyone. That you guys should not believe him. And he wants people to remember that a snake trapped inside of a cage is still a snake. And he's trying to tell basically Bray to let go of that. Become the monster that he is. That's what I basically got out of that. And once that video will end, we would go to backstage. We see L.A. Knight in a sling, and he walks around with one crutch. Knight would say that if he wasn't hurt, he would tell Bray to his face that he's a liar and that he will want to see Bray quiver and shake in front of him. And again, Ellie Knight is just here talking trash. And again, he ends up finding out what trash talking about Bray gets him. Because later in the night, you would see Ellie LA Knight laid out on the ground, and he has, like, equipment crates, like, on his body, and he's just calling for help, and people are trying to move the crates off him, but he can't, and Knight is just constantly calling for help, so again, we're still on the Bray Wyatt, L.A. Knight, uh, whole rivalry here, but again, we still haven't had Bray literally wrestle or do any physical situation in the ring, and not yet, we're building up to that, and when we do get it, the fans are going to rejoice because that's what we're all waiting for, Bray to get in the ring and see what kind of Bray we're going to get, what type of presentation we're going to get, what type of gear is he going to be wearing. That's basically what everybody's caring about with Bray at this particular moment. We're all just waiting for that moment whenever he gets in the ring and we get to see what Bray is now. Now, after this, we get Hit Row with B-Fab in their corner going against the Viking Raiders who has Valhalla in their corner. That's the formerly Sarah Logan. I thought last week when they said Valhalla, I thought that was their whole group name. But nope. That's just her name. Um, the Viking Raiders would win the match by pinfall by hitting Ragnarok, which is a double uh, powerbomb on Ashanti D'Adonis for the win. Solid match. You know what it was about. This is all about reestablishing the Viking Raiders in their new presentation here. And that's all it is. B Fab and Hit Row are going to get their time. and' the sun again. But right now, it's all about WWE trying to build up the Viking Raiders to be, again, a dominant force tag team for everybody to take serious. Now, after this, we get the semifinals of the World Cup uh, tournament. Ricochet going against Braun Strowman. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall thanks to Imperium interfering. When Braun was going to club Ricochet in the chest, Gunther would walk down the ramp and Braun would focus on Gunther. This would allow Ludwig and Giovanni Vinci to get on the ring apron and Braun would run towards them. Ricochet would take advantage of this and get Braun in a crucifix pin for the win. And then after the match... Ricochet would get out of the ring, and he starts walking out the ramp. This would allow Imperium to get in the ring and attack Braun Strowman. Ricochet would see this and then run back to the ring to help Braun out. Imperium would outpower both men until Braun would swat at both Ludwig and Giovanni Vinci. Gunther would leave the ring because he wants no part of Braun as he's starting to get his own strength, and the rest of Imperium would follow. Braun will walk over to Ricochet, help him up to his feet, shake his hand, and that's it for this. So, again, we're building up again for Braun to go against Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. That's what we're building up for. I understand that Ricochet is going against Santos Escobar next week, and more than likely, we're going to have Ricochet win that. So we go against Gunther because we're not having two bad guys fighting over an Intercontinental Championship. That has not happened, and it won't happen. So you can bet your bottom dollar that Ricochet is winning next week. And you can see that Ricochet is probably going to have Braun in his corner. And again, Gunther and Ricochet is going to have a great match whenever they have it for the Continental Championship. But let's not get it twisted. We are building for Braun Strowman to go against Gunther for the Continental title. That's what all this is building up for. Now, after this, we get Sami Zayn walking backstage as he walks towards the Bloodlines locker room. Once he gets to the door, Kevin Owens will be behind him, and he asks Sami, what's up? Sammy will look back and forth. He will look at Kevin Owens. He look at the bloodline's door. And he tells Kevin that he needs to leave. And now is not the best time. Kevin Owens would try to warn Sammy that he needs to watch himself. Because what we have seen, what Roman does to his blood when he gets upset, is basically destroy him. Kevin Owens would ask Sammy, what is he going to do whenever he upsets Roman? And you would see Sammy just taking in everything that Kevin Owens is saying. But he still doesn't trust Kevin. Kevin would say that if he was Sammy... He wouldn't wait until the bloodline turned on him. He would strike first. Basically, what Kevin Owens has done his whole entire career, he never allows anybody to attack him from behind or betray him. He always betrays the people that he trusts first. So Kevin Owens is basically trying to tell Sammy, do what I do. Don't do what you would usually do. And Sammy's always the guy that always gets attacked and be betrayed. So when Kevin Owens leaves... Uh, you see Sammy right there and Sammy doesn't know that Jay was behind the door listening to Kevin Owens' whole conversation to Sammy and Jay would walk up to Sammy and ask him, hey, where were you? We could not need you whenever we were beating up on Drew and Kevin Owens earlier. Sammy tells Jay that, listen, I text Jimmy earlier. I told him I was going to be late and I just got to the arena. Jay will ask Sammy, did you speak to anybody when you got here? Sammy would say, no, I just got here. Jay will move up closer to Sammy and ask him again. Sammy will say, no, I just got here. You're the first person. Is that okay? Jay would then smile at Sammy and say, no, nah, we're good. Jay would allow Sammy to get into the Bloodlines locker room, and that's the end of this. Now, we were supposed to get Shotzi and Raquel going against Ronda and Shayna Baszler. We still do get that match, but before that match would happen, we would see Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey attack both Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez backstage. Shayna and Ronda will put Raquel's arm in an equipment trunk and slam the lid on Raquel's arm. So when the match first starts, we see Shotzi going against Ronda and Shayna by herself until Raquel comes down to the ring, still with her arm like held in a position because she can't, like she can't really bend it. So ultimately, is basically that's Raquel's crutch here and Ronda would take advantage of this. She would actually make Raquel tap out by locking her in an arm bar. So, Rhonda and Shayna would win the match. And Shotzi had to watch because Shayna held Shotzi so she could watch it. So, again, this is to further prove the point that Rhonda is superior. She's trying to dominate the women's division any way that she can. And also, this is trying to make sure and let everybody know that Shotzi is not beating Ronda at Survivor Series. But we will have to wait and see at Survivor Series to see if Shotzi is going to beat Ronda. After this, we get to the main event. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus going against the Usos. And this is for the Survivor Series War Games Advantage. The winner of this team matchup will get their team at War Games the advantage of one extra man to go into the ring earlier. So, basically going to start one-on-one, and at the five minutes, that winner's team is going to have their member run into the ring and help out their member. So, that's what's at stake here. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus would win the match by pinfall, but also thanks to help from Kevin Owens. When carnage and chaos was happening around the ring, with the brawling broods and Solo Sokoa brawling around the ring, you would see Sami Zayn... Pick up a WWE Tag Team Championship and he's trying to give it to Jay. As he moves closer, he's calling for Jay, and you see Kevin Owens get in front of Sammy and ask him, What's he doing? Sammy will ask Kevin, What's he doing? And you will see Sammy push Kevin Owens and try to call Jay so he can grab the championship from him. Kevin Owens would then throw Sammy into the ring. The referee would see Sammy with the WWE Tag Team Championship and he would tell Sammy that he needs to go to the back. Sammy will argue with the ref. And this would allow Kevin Owens to get in the ring and hit a stunner on Jay Uso. And then Sheamus would hit Jay with a bro kick, cover him, and win the match. So Drew and Sheamus gets the Survivor Series War Games advantage for their team going against the Bloodline. So SmackDown ends with Team Brawling Brute standing over Team Bloodline to give Brawling Brute's team some momentum going into War Games for Survivor Series. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Rampage, we will start off with a Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship matchup of top flight going against FTR. FTR would win the match by pinfall when they would hit a big rig on Dante Martin for the win. After the match, the gun club would appear on the stage and taunt FTR. Again, we're still continuing the gun club and FTR business. We need to get a match out of these two quickly because by God, yo, cut it, cut it with a straw next week or this coming week on Dynamite because Dax Harwood will be going against Brian Danielson. After that match, I want to hear the Gun Club challenge FTR straight up for a tag team title shot at uh, Ring of Honor's final battle for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship. Hurry up and give us that match so we can move away so FTR can do something else and Gun Club can have some championships under their belt, give the firm a championship so We need to hurry up and do this because I'm tired of waiting for FTR in the gun club. This is not no slow build. No, this is a situation that needs to hurry up and just happen so we can get out of here with this. Now, after this, we get Chris Jericho and the rest of his Jericho Appreciation Society members coming out to the ring. Jericho will gloat about beating Ishii on Dynamite to retain his Ring of Honor Championship. Jericho will ask who is left for him to beat, who is going to be the one to uncrown him. Then Claudio Castagnoli would come out and say that he needs to beat Chris Jericho. Claudio mentions that he knows he could beat Chris Jericho. He's done it twice, but when it really counts, he doesn't win because he always 2nd guesses himself. He knows he's a good wrestler, but whenever it comes down to the big, important matches with Jericho, he just can't pull the trigger for some reason. Now, Claudio would ask Chris for another championship match. Chris would say no, and he says that Claudio has nothing that he wants. Then Matt Minardo 2.0 would tell Chris that he has an idea. He says that Claudio is a great wrestler. We all know this. But at one point, he was a great sports entertainer. So Matt Menard would throw out the idea of Claudio joining the Jericho Appreciation Society. Jericho would actually agree with that idea. So he would throw out the challenge to Claudio for him to have a ring around a championship matchup. But if Chris wins, Claudio would join his group. Claudio would accept, and we're going to get that match at final battle. So we have our Ring of Honor World Championship matchup announced Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli at final battle for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And the condition is if Claudio loses, he has to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. And it's going to be entertaining to see Claudio join Jericho's group. I don't think Jericho is going to lose. I think Claudio is going to join, and I think Claudio is going to tear apart Jericho Appreciation Society from the inside out. But we'll have to see if Claudio happens to lose. But again, we still got some time. Final battle, I believe, is on December 10th. So I believe we technically only got, what, two more weeks for them to build this up? But we'll see. Um, after this, we had Darby Allen with Sting in this corner going against Anthony Henry, who had JD Drake in his corner. Darby Allen would win the match by Pinfall. With Anthony Henry would hit a superplex. Then followed up by lifting up Darby Allen. Darby would then. Uh, get out of this, lift up, and get behind Anthony Henry and hit him with a Scorpion Death Drop, and then finish him off with a Coffin Drop for the win. After this, we have Hukaru Shida going against Queen Aminata, and the Bunny and Penelope before will come out to watch the match at ringside. Shida would win the match by a pinfall by hitting the Katana, which is a spinning knee strike to the face for the win. Now, after this, we get to the main event, the Trios match of Dark Order's John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and Ten going against the Butcher, the Blade, and Roosh, who had the Bunny and Jose in their corner. Roosh would get the win for his team by pinfall when Alex and John Silver were taking on Roosh, the Butcher, and the Blade. Evil Uno and Negative One would get Ten to run down to the ring because Ten wasn't out there. It was basically a three-on-two match until Ten got basically thrown out there by Evil Uno and Negative One to help out. John Silver and Alex Reynolds, but once Ten got in the ring and he got in the face of Roosh, they would have a stare down, and then Roosh will lift up his arm and throw his fists in the air. Ten would hit a discus lariat on Alex Reynolds, and he would turn on the Dark Order. John Silver would then get hit with the bull's horn, which is a basically a uh, dropkick in the corner of the turnbuckles, and Roosh would cover John for the win. Now, after the match, Roosh will lead his group into attacking Evil Uno, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. They will beat up Uno so bad to the point that, that you had Ten start ripping the mask of Evil Uno's off of him. They will put the boots to John Silver, and then they will slam Alex Reynolds through a table at ringside. All the while, Negative One was on the stage watching this. Now, after the destruction was over, you will see Ten and the rest of them start walking up the ramp, and 10 will walk up to negative one, unmask himself, and throw his mask at the feet of negative one. This had a lot of important symbolism here because 10 was a hand picked guy by the Dark Order's former leader, Mr. Brody Lee. Rest in peace, Brody Lee. And negative one is Brody Lee's son. So, negative one has been around 10 a lot, or shall I say, negative one and 10 have basically got closer together since Brody Lee's passing. So for 10 to take his mask off and throw it at the feet of negative one, it showed a lot of symbolism. It's one, 10, turning his back on the Dark Order. And more importantly, 10, turning his back on negative one and his father's legacy of Brody Lee, being the guy that Brody Lee chose to join the Dark Order. So I think we're going to get a big thing out of 10. I think we're going to not let this just die because this is a important thing for as much respect as AEW has for Brody Lee and as much respect that people have for Brody Lee and what AEW did for Brody Lee in his short period of time on AEW television I don't think Tony Khan is just going to let this storyline just fizzle out on Rampage I think this is going to be something that's going to play out on Dynamite and if not this I don't understand why not I think they're missing the mark if they do not play this storyline, play this replay back on Dynamite this week. I believe that they're going to miss the mark, and hopefully they don't. Hopefully they actually do continue on with it, but we shall see. And that is your AEW Rampage uh, Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I'm going to give you my Survivor Series predictions. Predictions. Going on with the triple threat WWE United States Championship matchup, of Seth Rollins going against Bobby and Austin Theory. I think Seth's retaining the United States Championship here again. Seth is the perfect puppet master. Bobby and Austin Theory. I think Austin Theory's is out here to try to prove himself. Bobby just want to hurt anybody that gets in his way from like regaining his United States Championship. Again, Seth's a great puppet master. And Seth just got the United States title. And I think they want to keep the championship on Seth so he can do more things with it. So I think Seth's going to retain it. And he's probably going to pin what I say, Austin Theory. Because Austin Theory is still young. He's still a rookie. He still has a lot to prove in this new character formation that we're getting out of the Theory. So Theory getting pinned won't be bad for him. It is basically going to be another thing that he could chalk. Up on his board of something that he has to learn and he can just make it more meaner and tougher for this new presentation that we're getting of Austin Theory here. Uh, AJ Styles going against Finn Balor. These two are going to have a good match. I don't know in my heart of hearts truly who's going to win. I'm just picking out of who I would like to see off of a storyline aspect. I would like to see, personally for me, I would like to see AJ win because the OC need it. Judgment Day, they still have a lot of bad energy coming towards them. And I say that with this. Dominic Mysterio carries a whole lot of people booing that kid. People don't like Dominic. So Dominic being a part of the Judgment Day, it just adds a lot of more booing factor onto Judgment Day. Finn Balor and AJ could have a great competitive uh, Matchup here and AJ can win it will not take nothing off of Finn Balor this will not take the stain off of Finn Balor AJ just needs to have a win because he hasn't had a singles win in a long time on a pay-per-view and he needs this and hopefully we get it on Survivor Series if not I wouldn't be so mad at Finn Balor winning honestly so either guy winning it doesn't matter to me I know they're gonna have a good match but for me purposely I would have AJ winning Just off top. Uh, Ronda Rousey going to get Shotzi for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey's winning. I don't think I need to go into more uh, explanation of this. They're not building Shotzi up for this. It's not happening. Ronda's winning. Now to the females war games matchup of Bianca Belair, Asuka, uh, Alexa, Mia Yim, and Becky Lynch going against damage controls, Bailey, Dakota, Io, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. This one's a toss-up to me because you have... Rhea Ripley, who hasn't been back on the main roster, but for so long and she's just, what, this is going to be her technically her second match back on the main roster. I do not count NXT when she goes against Roxanne Perez. I have to state that yet again. But on television, this is going to be her second time back on TV, and I think they want to keep that presentation of Rhea Ripley strong. But also, we just got the return back of Becky Lynch here. So this one is really a toss-up here. I say we need to give it and ooh, I say we give it to damage control. Damage control. Bailey specifically needs this win. She does. Bailey has not won a lot of matches when it really counts. When it's time for the women's championship matches, she always somehow drops the ball. It does not get much more simpler than that. She lost at Extreme Rules. She lost at Crown Jewel. Her girls, Dakota and Io, they win. And they lose back and forth for the Women's Tag Team Championships. Nikki Cross, she just turned evil. She needs something. Rhea Ripley, again, i say it again. She just got on the main roster. Well, returning back on the main roster in competitive uh, aspect in the ring. I say give it to Damage Control. Again, we still have to be a competitive match between both teams here. But for me, I think we need to give this straight up to Damage Control. Now, for the men's war games, the brawling brutes of Sheamus, Ridge, Butch, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens going against the bloodline. The bloodline is not winning this. I say the brawling brutes are winning this because we're going to be setting up Roman Reigns' whole tour until WrestleMania. And who is he going to face at WrestleMania? I have no idea. Will he still be universal uh, undisputed champion? I have no idea. I think him losing, or his teams more specifically, losing as a Survivor Series, I think that's going to set up for Roman Reigns this whole stretch until he gets to Mania. I think personally, uh, Sami Zayn's going to take the loss here. I think he's going to get pinned here. And I think it's going to be because Sami and Jay is going to be bickering in the middle of this war games. Roman's going to see this. He's going to get so pissed and that's going to take away from everything, and that's how the Brawling Brutes team is going to capitalize on it. Who's going to pin Roman or pin Sammy? I have no idea. If I had to pick and lay my hat out, personally, I would have probably Kevin Owens pin Sammy, or if not Kevin Owens, probably Drew McIntyre, because Drew McIntyre would need something after the whole Clash of the Castle debacle. So we can give it to Drew, or we can give it to Kevin Owens. And if you want to make it more special, pin have somebody pin roman reigns because it will not matter people gonna say it's gonna matter in the big grand scheme of things because it's gonna get the crowd popping crowd like yay but i'm talking about in the in the big grand grand big grand scheme of things roman reigns being pinned in this war games match is only going to mean that somebody's gonna say yes i pinned him but roman can use this as his character say listen You pin me in a match where I had people that I had to carry. If it's me and you, one-on-one, I'm dusting you in the ring, whatever. War Games is what it was, whatever. So, in Roman Reigns' mind, it won't be nothing. But in the fans' mind and everybody else's mind, we can placate that and basically say, Roman, you lost for your team. And you can see Roman start snapping off on Jay and Sammy. Like I said, WWE has a whole lot to play around with this, so... If you want to get a big pop, a big crowd reaction out of it, have Roman Reigns lose to Drew McIntyre or Kevin Owens. But I say Drew because Drew needs it after that whole Clash of the Castle situation. So ultimately, Team and Brutes are winning over Bloodline. And I just want to see how WWE is going to uh, do Sammy and Drew, not Sammy and Drew, but Sammy and Roman and the bloodline after this, because I believe this is going to really set up for the eventual Sammy being turned on by the bloodline coming towards WrestleMania, and hopefully Kevin Owens and Sammy will take the tag titles off of the Usos, because again, I want to see Kevin Owens and Sammy hold the tag team championships a lot. I truly do, and hopefully this is the first step towards that agenda. So with that, that has been my Survivor Series uh, picks. That has been wrestling holidays of the week. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys tune in to the pod tomorrow for my Sunday episode. If not, you'll hear from my review of Survivor Series tomorrow as well. So you have a choice of the litter to pick either the Sunday episode or the Survivor Series, or you could pick both either. who I love you all. I thank you. You hear from me tomorrow or you hear from me next Saturday, either way have a great saturday don't be a dick please be courteous to everybody and with that this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him I Love you all and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus and I-